One health question as we start. What you went through, has that affected you emotionally in any way, do you think? As somebody who has had great endurance, as a kid I was a long distance runner. Thank God I've been you know, healthy as a horse. Uh, you know, it was, it was a little bit shocking to me when the doctor there told me, hey, you're having a heart attack. I literally didn't register. I could not believe that that was the case. Hey, I'm John Harwood, host of CNBC's Speakeasy podcast. In this episode, I sat down with second-time presidential candidate Bernie Sanders over green smoothies in a Des Moines coffee shop. The self-styled Democratic Socialist was freshly back on the campaign trail after his heart attack and cardiac catheterization surgery. And for the moment, there's no sign that his medical setback has mellowed him. I don't want to be overly political in saying this, but, you know, my life is political. And I was thinking I had a pain, I had a discomfort, not a lot of pain, but discomfort. And I walked in, I went into the hospital, and I didn't worry about whether I could afford to pay it. I have good insurance. And I'm sitting there and thinking, somebody else here has that same discomfort, and they're sitting and thinking, should I go into the hospital and end up with a large bill, or maybe it'll get better tomorrow? Maybe I'll forget about it. Some of those people die or suffer permanent heart damage. That's one of the things that I thought about. You uh, recently offered to distinguish yourself from uh, Senator Warren. Uh, she's a capitalist to her bones, and you're not. Well, that's uh, what she has defined herself. Correct, as. correct. Yeah. Um, is that just a marker of you being a little more progressive than her, or do you uh, think that has real practical significance I think from what does. you stand for? I, I, think, I, I think in a couple of ways. Number one, I personally believe that at this particular moment in history, where the average worker has not seen a wage increase in 40, real inflation accounted for wage increase in 45 years, despite an explosion of technology and productivity, where you have a political system which is totally corrupt and owned by billionaires, where you have massive amounts of corporate corruption. Now, I'm only talking about greed here, mm -hmm. but absolute corruption. I think the time is now, if we're going to save this country, for a political revolution. It's not more, just more regulation. Mm -hmm. What it is about involving millions of people, working people, young people, people who believe in justice, in the political process, to tell the corporate elite, in truth, that enough is enough. We're going to change the system politically, economically. We're going to change the value system of this country, which says we're not going to worship corrupt billionaires anymore. Mm -hmm. We're going to respect teachers and childcare workers and cops and firefighters and small business people. So the goal is to change the value system of this country in a very profound way. That's what our campaign uniquely, I believe, is about. Do you have any problem, by the way, with the work that she's done in the past advising corporations, Dow Corning, Dow Chemical, uh, on legal uh, problems that they had? I'll let the American people make that judgment. Uh, I have never worked for a corporation myself. I've never carried their baggage in the United States Senate. You know, people say, well, Bernie, you're old. Well, you know what, between you and me, it's true. But the advantage of that is that people have the opportunity to look at my record. It's not last year, not two years ago. I was for Medicare for All when I was mayor of Burlington in the 1980s. 
During my career, I have taken on every powerful corporate interest, whether it's the drug companies, the insurance companies, fossil fuel, Wall Street. I have been there. So if people want to get a sense of what I will be as president, hey, I've been doing this for 30 or 40 years. These are not new ideas to me. So you identify as a democratic socialist. You uh, got the endorsement of uh, Representative Ocasio-Cortez over the weekend, another prominent democratic socialist. How, when you talk about a value uh, and political and economic change in the country, how far do you think you can take the United States of America toward democratic socialism? Well, it depends you know, what we mean by democratic socialism. What I am trying to do in many ways is pick up where Franklin Delano Roosevelt left off. Mm -hmm. And you may recall in a not widely publicized State of the Union speech he gave in 1944, mm -hmm. so a year before he died toward the end of the Second World War. This is what he said in so many words. He said, you know what? We have political rights. You have freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, freedom of religion, all of that's great. But what we don't have are guaranteed economic rights. Mm -hmm. So you can vote, but you also have the privilege of sleeping out on the street. You can protest, which is good, but you also have the freedom to work 60 or 70 hours a week at starvation wages. You have the freedom not to have health insurance, not to be able to send your kids to college. What I'm trying to do in this campaign is pick up where Roosevelt left off and say that economic rights must be considered as human rights. Do you also embrace the part of FDR that said in 1936 when he was running for re-election that uh, uh, his adversaries, economic and otherwise, hate me and I welcome their hatred? Absolutely, I do. I mean, you can judge a person by the friends they have. You can judge a candidate for president by the enemies they have. And I uniquely, in all due respect to my colleagues, I am taken on the insurance companies, the drug companies, the fossil fuel industry, the military industrial complex, the prison industrial complex, Wall Street, the Democratic establishment. There was a guy who was head of third wave. That's the, the corporate wing of the Democratic Party. And he said, Bernie Sanders is an existential threat to the Democratic Party. I agree with them. I am. I want to convert the Democratic Party to break its dependency on big money and corporate interests, like Third Way, and make it into a party of working class people, of young people, of all people who believe in justice. One of the big things the president has is the appointment power, apart from uh, legislation you can get done. Would it be your intention to appoint Democratic Socialists to big well, you're positions making, in your you're administration? Going a little bit a little bit too crazy on the word here. I will appoint people who believe in the working class and the working families of this country, who are prepared to stand up to the incredibly powerful corporate interests that today dominate our economic and political life. Mm -hmm. I will appoint an attorney general who, for the first time in modern history, will go after white-collar crime, which I believe is rampant, Instead of arresting kids who are selling marijuana, maybe we go after some of the crooks on Wall Street uh, and in other major industries. Uh, I will appoint an attorney general who is prepared to enforce the antitrust 
laws that are on the books that have been neglected for so very long. So when I talk about democratic socialism, you want to talk about what does it mean? Let's be clear, what does it mean? Let's not get people overly nervous about Mm -hmm. it. What it means is that health care is a human right. Not a very radical idea. We are the only major country on earth that does not allow that reality to take place. That's what I believe in. Let me uh, take one more crack at, at the word. I was looking at the uh, DSA website the other day, and they said we can't eliminate private corporations in the short term, so we have to confront them. Would it be your intention or your goal in the medium or long term not to have private corporations? No, that's not my intention. Okay. What is my intention, though, is to make sure that workers have representation mm-hmm. on those large corporations. So we have presented recently the Corporate Accountability Act, right. which says, again, not terribly radical. It exists in one form or another in other countries, including Germany. Germany. Right. So we say that instead of just being a cog in a machine, mm-hmm. you know, you're a worker, you're coming to work, you're working for your paycheck, what about giving that worker some power and responsibility in terms of the shaping of that corporation? Mm-hmm. Should Wall Street and a handful of members of a board determine whether a factory remains in the United States or whether it goes to China? Should a handful of wealthy board members determine whether or not there is a stock buyback or whether workers get decent wage increases and decent benefits? Does this mean you're not impressed by the statement that Jamie Dimon and the Business Roundtable put out saying that we, we, we are going to take considerations broader than just profit into our practice? You don't think they're serious? No, of course not. If you require that 45% of the board be workers, if you require uh, more distribution uh, of required distribution of profits to workers, if you ban stock buybacks, do you accept that that would have a slowing effect on economic growth? It's not good enough just to look at economic growth. That has been kind of the biblical biblical stature that corporate America has been looking at. We have growth, we have growth. But as I mentioned to you earlier, in the last 45 years, despite unbelievable growth, in real inflation accounted for dollars, the average worker is no better off than he or she was 45 years ago. In the last 30 years, the top 1% have seen a $21 trillion increase in their wealth. Bottom half of America has seen a decline in their wealth. Half the people today are living paycheck to paycheck. Growth is the wrong measurement. Of course it's the wrong one. What the question is, is our economy working for the people here? Is it working for ordinary Americans? That's that's the criteria. Do people feel secure? Do they know that their kids, everything being equal, are going to have a better standard of living than they they do? How do you factor in uh, the significance of the fact that Uh, modern global capitalism has substantially reduced poverty in other parts of the world. When you talk about the global economy, you're right. Thank God. The terrible, terrible poverty that has been seen in the developing world, some of that is receding. That's great. On the other hand, you are looking at an unbelievably uh, and grotesque level of global income and wealth inequality. And, And you're also seeing not only massive income and wealth inequality, but in many countries, a movement toward increased authoritarianism Mm -hmm. and away from human rights and democracy. On Wall Street reform, you say you want to end the too big to jail. Uh, You said the other day that uh, 
Sherman Act violations by monopolists uh, uh, ought to have the potential for criminal indictments. I wonder if you think that principle also applies to cases like the Boeing CEO is testifying on the Hill next week. He's been stripped by the uh, his position as board chairman. The head of the Max airplane was fired. But is that the kind of case where people lost their lives in accidents that criminal law is relevant Sean, let to? Let me take it a, a major step further. All right, and this is the kind of discussion that we need as a nation, and that will take place uh, when I'm president. Give me three examples of this. In 2008, when Wall Street drove this country into the worst economic recession in modern history, as a result of that, Wall Street has paid tens and tens of billions of dollars in fines for their illegal activity. It wasn't a mistake. Everybody makes mistakes. They were selling subprime mortgages that they knew were worthless. They paid tens of billions of dollars in fines. How many of these Wall Street executives uh, went to jail as a result of their illegal behavior? I don't think any. No. All right. And that is why the American people are disgusted with what goes on in Washington, D.C. They see a kid selling marijuana, gets picked up by the cops. That kid will have a criminal record mm-hmm. for the rest of his life. And yet a Wall Street executive that causes a massive tragedy for our economy, no punishment. Give you another example pharmaceutical industry, and I've dealt with these guys for years. They're not only greedy, they are corrupt. They are engaged in collusion and in price fixing. Mm -hmm. Right now, as you know, uh, states attorneys general are mounting a massive lawsuit against the opioid manufacturers. And what they are saying is these guys knew exactly what they were doing. Mm -hmm. They were selling an addictive product all over this country Many have died. They knew what they were doing. How do you define that behavior? I call it criminal. And I want to give you one more example. Mm -hmm. How do we define, how do we describe the behavior of the fossil fuel industry? Let's take a look. You tell me. All right, I will tell you. For a very long time, ExxonMobil, the executives at ExxonMobil and other fossil fuel industries knew that the product that they were producing was causing climate change and, in fact, helping to destroy this planet. That's what they knew. And yet, what they did is use them... Put them in the same category as tobacco executives. Exactly. Exactly. All right? If you're producing a product and you don't know that it's causing harm, that's one thing. That's forgivable. But if you are like the tobacco industry, oh, we go before Congress, we swear that all of our research has shown that there is not a problem with tobacco causing cancer or heart disease. They lied. They lied. My father died because he smoked two packs of cigarettes a day. Millions of people in the same boat. These are liars. These are criminals. I support and respect business people who produce new products, who create jobs. God bless them. I do not respect or support criminals who are killing people, who are harming people, and are lying about what they're doing. Let me ask a question about real-world governance uh, rather than campaign rhetoric. Um, Joe Biden has said uh, at a fundraiser earlier this year, uh, nothing really fundamental has to change. You have proposed enormous changes. What I wonder is, 
Would the practical results of a Biden administration really be that different from the practical results of a Sanders administration, given the fact that there are so many constraints on things getting done in Congress? John, you're forgetting one very important thing, and that I am a different type of politician, mm -hmm. and my administration will be certainly unique in modern American history, at least going back to FDR. Talk about the fact that nothing much really big ever happens, and there's truth to that. But what you're missing is that right now you have a Congress and a White House that are dominated by a corporate elite who have unbelievable amounts of money and influence over the political and economic life of this country. I'm not going to be dominated by those guys. I will take them on and I will beat them. Real change in this country has never taken place without millions of people standing up and demanding that change. That is the history of the labor movement, mm -hmm. the history of the civil rights movement, the women's movement, the gay movement, the environmental movement. And as President of the United States, and I've said this before, I will not only be Commander-in-Chief of the military, I will be Organizer-in-Chief. And when you do that, John, then you're not talking about incremental changes. But, but e even, even if you have a successful election and you get elected, even if it's successful to the point that Democrats win a small majority in the Senate, is Joe Manchin going to vote for your program? Yeah. Is John Tester going to vote Damn for your right program? Damn right they will. You know why? And they're friends of mine. Yeah. So we're going to go to West Virginia, which is maybe the poorest state, well, one of the poorest states in this country. Look, what happens right now, your average politician sits around and he or she thinks, they say, let's see, if I do this, I'm going to have the big money interest putting 30-second ads against me. So I better not do it. But now they're going to have to think, if I don't support an agenda that works for working people, I'm going to have President Sanders come into my state and rally working class people. You know what? At the end of the day, the 1% is very powerful. No denying that. Mm -hmm. The 99%, when they're organized and prepared to stand up and fight, they are far more powerful. But if there were a latent political revolution waiting to happen, you've been running for president for five years. Wouldn't we see more of it by now than we've seen? Hey, John. Huh. All right, let's talk about that. Mm -hmm. Think about the ideas that I introduced four years ago. I'm not taking credit for all the changes. Millions of people. Four years ago, $15 an hour minimum wage, radical and crazy. Four years ago, Medicare for all, healthcare is a human right, Bernie. That's un-American. 71% of Democrats in the last poll now support that. Public colleges and university all over the country. Climate change is a major threat. You know, Democrats disagree about it. I have but the that's most more people talking about it. That's not stuff having got gotten through the process. Well, how's it gonna get through the process when Donald Trump is president, who's beholden to his billionaire friends, and when Mitch McConnell runs the Senate? But the House of Representatives did pass the $15 an hour minimum mm -hmm. wage. The House of Representatives did pass significant election reform, et cetera, et cetera. So it's waiting. All, all I'm saying here, John, mm -hmm. is the ideas that I am talking about are by and large supported by the American mm -hmm. people. I think that as president, I help bring our country together by talking about issues that Republicans agree on, Republicans think that we should not have a trade policy which sends good-paying jobs 
to China and Mexico. I agree with that. So I think we can bring people together around an agenda that works for working families, not just the 1%. One of the constraints that uh, uh, has limited uh, things that Democrats have been able to get to uh, get done uh, has been fiscal. Senator Warren is producing plans to pay for Medicare for all. You've identified revenue sources for about half of it. Do you think it's important to identify revenue sources for the other half, or do you believe, as those who say subscribe to modern monetary theory believe, that we've been a little bit too constrained by concerns about the deficit, and that's not so important to pay for everything? The fight that I have been waging says that, A, healthcare is a human right. Mm -hmm. We've got to join the rest of the world guaranteeing healthcare to all people. And B, I want to do away with all premiums, all co-payments, all deductibles and out-of-pocket expenses. And I believe that through a progressive tax approach, the overwhelming majority of people, you've got working class people now paying 15 and 20 percent of their incomes for health care. I'm going to lower the cost of health care. And what I understand is Republicans are good at, and some of my Democratic opponents say, oh, Bernie is going to raise your taxes. But if I am doing away with your premiums and your prescription drug costs, nobody in America under Medicare for all pays more than $200 a year. And we it okay out, with you if deficits go up while that happens? We're trying to pay for the damn thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think at a time of massive income and wealth inequality, it is my view that the wealthiest people in this country, the top one-tenth of one percent, should be paying substantially more than they're paying right now. You have an insane situation. And let my Wall Street uh, friends there tell me why it makes sense. You have Wall Street friends? No, I know. That was just a <laughs> metaphor. <laughs> I was trying to sound nice. I know. But, you know, please, you defend for me. Amazon, owned by the wealthiest guy in the country, making $11 billion in profits last year, not paying a nickel in federal income taxes. I want to hear the defense. John, I don't hear it. There is no defense. And it's not just Amazon. It's dozens of these corporations. So you do uh, plan to propose the other $16 uh, billion in... Federal taxes are already paying, roughly speaking, 60% of health care costs through Medicare, Medicaid, uh, CHIP, and other health care programs. Mm -hmm. So we you still have more revenue to go to make it fully paid well, for? Well, what we have yes. laid out is, look... The fight right now is to get the American people to understand that we're spending twice as much per capita, that of course we can pay for it. We're paying it now in a very reactionary, regressive way. I want to pay for it in a progressive way. That's my fight now. Now, you're asking me to come up with an exact, detailed plan of how, you know, every American, how much you're going to pay more in taxes, how much I'm going to pay. I don't think I have to do that right now. What I have to say, and be honest, is to say, yeah. You think it's foolish that uh, Senator Warren's trying to uh, I'm not saying it's foolish. That. I'm not saying it's foolish. Because some no. people are saying that. Like, why why box yourself in with that kind of well, detail? Well, all that I'm saying is, is, that, is that what we have laid out are a variety of options, all right, which are progressive, mm -hmm. all right? We're going to take those. We'll have that debate. But at the end of the day, we will pay for every nickel of Medicare for all. And it will save the overwhelming majority of the American people who no longer pay premiums. Would you envision that at the end of a Sanders administration, the deficit would not be larger than it is now? Well, I surely, unlike Trump, uh, would not be giving a trillion dollars in tax breaks over 10 years to the 1% in large corporations. I surely, like Trump, would not be greatly expanding military spending. 
I surely would not be providing hundreds of billions of dollars a year in tax breaks and subsidies to the fossil fuel industry. But you think the net of that priority shift would not result in a higher deficit? Look, I'm not here to tell you, yeah. you know, but under Trump, yeah. what we have seen is a huge increase in no the doubt. deficit. Okay. For sure. I think I will do a lot better than Trump. Congress has not been able to raise the gas tax by pennies to fix crumbling roads and bridges. Um, you've got a wealth tax, which is enormous. Uh, Congress has not been able to pass car check uh, uh, union uh, unionization. You're proposing a huge increase in the clout of organized labor. How are those things even conceivable in right, John, 2019? I, okay. What I want you to, th it's a good question, it's a fair question, but you're looking at status quo politics. Mm -hmm. I often use a statement that Nelson Mandela made. This is what he said. It always seems impossible until it is done, mm -hmm. okay? And that these ideas, that, oh my God, it can't be done. Imagine everybody in America having health care. Duh. That's what exists in every other country on mm -hmm. earth. Why is that so impossible? Mm -hmm. Imagine the United States leading the world in transforming our energy system and saving the planet for our kids and grandchildren. Oh my God, it's impossible. Really? What's the alternative? So here's what you're not seeing. You're right in saying that these are big ideas. I can see that. You're right in saying that we have more or less a dysfunctional Congress. I agree with you. But where you're not right is understanding that if you and I were sitting here, just as one tiny example, you and I were sitting here 25 years ago, and I said to you, you know, John, I think that gay marriage will be legal in every state in this country. What would you have said to me? You would have said you're crazy. Yes, I would. So would I. Okay. If, going way back, when I grew up at a time when African Americans could not vote, right? kids could not go to a local school, could not drink at a water fountain, and change took place, you know, Martin Luther King Jr., others, they stood up and they fought. hundred years ago, women did not have the right to vote, because as we all know, women's place is in the house as opposed to have babies. They're not supposed to vote hundred years ago, not a long time. Change can take place when you motivate people, when you get people organized, when they stand up for justice. That's what I believe. If you've got uh, one shot in your first year, and we, we, the history... Wrong question. I know where you're going. Okay. You're going to ask me to be a prioritize. Yes. No. Once you get moving, you can move. I think that the American people can chew bubble gum and walk at the same time. We must save the planet. That's not an option. So climate change has, we've got to combat climate change. America's got to lead the world. I will demand that every American has health care as a human right. I will not allow hundreds of thousands of bright young kids not to be able to go to college because they are, they lack the income or 45 million people to be suffering with large student debt. You don't accept that you've got to pick one no, first target. That's old, that's old thicken. When we did this interview four years ago, you ended it by saying, John, don't underestimate. And did I, I say that, John? You did. And you underestimated And me. I confess that I did. <laughs> but right now, I think a whole lot of people are uh, discounting your chances, or in your view, maybe underestimating you. What would you say to them? Well, again, I, <laughs> when I became mayor of the city of Burlington way back when, in 1981, actually a guy, I think, 
a local reporter said, well, the odds of Sanders winning against a five-term incumbent, running as an independent, uh, the odds are about 100 to 1. I won. Okay? The odds of winning in last time around, uh, taking on the entire Democratic establishment, we ended up winning 22 states and got more young people votes than Trump and Clinton combined. The ideas that I talked about four years ago seem so radical and extreme. Today, they're kind of mainstream ideas, right? Don't underestimate them. Well, that's it for this episode of Speakeasy. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of Speakeasy was produced by M.C. Wellens and Pat Anastasi. Editing by Jeff Dills. Oh, and by the way, don't forget to rate the podcast and leave us your feedback. Is there a political figure you'd like us to interview? We'd love to hear from you, so please share your ideas in the comments. Talk soon.